Good evening, and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast tonight. The Golden Globes, those were some exceptional winners. First, we got Sasha Baron Cohen, but let's talk about Audra Day winning for playing Billie Holiday. I thought it was either going to be, you know, uh, uh, oops, I hate saying that word. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was going to be Viola Davis, but it wasn't. And then you have Daniel Kaluga, who won for Judas and the Black Messiah, uh, Daniel Boyega, um, who won a supporting for a TV series. So it's great. That's progress. But the Hollywood Foreign Press themselves, yeah, there needs to be some black members. Um, you know, we had done a part two of of Mr. Morgan Freeman, and I thought, you know, Morgan Freeman, such an exceptional actor, doesn't doesn't get a lot of credit. I I don't think. I I mean, he is an amazing actor. Oh my God. What an amazing actor. And it's not really about Black History Month. He says, why Why is it just a month? You know what I mean? And he has a good point. He has a very good point. But here is something from Mr. Morgan Freeman in Shawshank. They send you here for life. That's exactly what they take. Part of counts anyway. No, they're everywhere. Yourself can wear a suit and a tie and 
have a job? What do you really want to know? Am I sorry for what I did? As not a day goes by, I don't feel regret. Not because I'm in here, because you think I should. I look back on the way I was then. A young, stupid kid who committed that terrible crime. I want to talk to him. I want to try to talk some sense to him. let that play mr morgan freeman as we end our discussion on black cinema we're going to continue it though i don't think we should end it just continue i'm going to play some clips now from the remainder of the shows during february as we celebrate black cinema i love it and i'm glad all of you love it unpleasant dreams please enjoy these clips dr zeus film podcast a year anniversary three-year anniversary coming in a couple of hours Good evening and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. This February is almost coming to a close. It's been very interesting talking about these films. And then, you know, you have those lists. You know, the AFI used to do those 100 years, 100 stars. You know what's not on that list? It should be Boys in the Hood. Color purple. And that's the thing that bothers me is, is that... Hollywood needs to acknowledge that the world is not just white, that the world is black and Asian and Hispanic and gay, straight, bi, trans. That's what the world is. And Hollywood needs to show that in their appreciation of classics. Boys in the Hood is a classic. The Color Purple is a classic. Friday is a classic. The Nutty Professor, you know. Coming to America, the fact that they did a second coming into America 30 years later. I mean, come on. 
you know. Um, but I the other day when I was talking about Boys in the Hood, I was aware of that. I thought, wow, that is such a great movie. Such a iconic movie, and it's not on any of those lists of the, the century. And it should be. And what a prolific director John Singleton was. He, you know, he's only been gone for two years. It's weird to talk about him like that. Say, oh, was, not is. You know? Yeah. This was a weird week. And, you know... I have to mention Mr. Lawrence Ferlinghetti, who was a beat poet. The beats were basically inspired by bebop, you know, Dizzy Gillespie, and then, of course, inspired by Charlie Parker uh, and a lot of black poets. And he left this earth at 101. What a way to go. And Gordon Parks, he lived into his 90s. Died, I think, in 2006, you know, and the longevity of these icons. Sidney Portier last weekend turned 94. So there's something, there's something to this art, this, you know, this industry. Mm. Yeah. And we are about to enter March. But before we do, I'm going to talk about, of course, coming up, Shaft, and of course, Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman, because he's been in so many films. What an icon. Got into a lot of trouble early on saying what roles he wouldn't play. Yeah. Yeah. Or how he knew they, it wasn't written for him. And you know, when I think of Margaret Freeman, that voice, that voice, that voice of her voice of his, and then of course you got to think about, you know, uh, James Earl Jones, who did the voice of Darth Vader. What a legendary moment that a, a man he he has said this here he was from the south with a really bad stutter and he grew up to do the voice of one of the greatest villains of all time Darth Vader isn't that amazing or Samuel Jackson who had a, who had a really bad stutter and learn to get rid of it by saying motherfucker all the time yeah to rise above the fray and to be heard and you know what's weird is is that so many films that are diverse now are right there we can access them we can watch them but the fact that they're not held in the same esteem as these classics like, you know, the Philadelphia story or Bridge Over the River Kwai or Lawrence of Arabia or 
Titanic, you know. Um, you know what's funny about Titanic? There are a lot of the stage extras in that movie are from Mexico. Yeah, they are. Because they filmed it in Mexico. I think they did. I'd have to go back and look. So I guess that's, you know, they were all in the Titanic. Well, the fake one. The one that James Cameron built. In 1996. Yeah. So black film really is American film. It's world film. And these characters, I mean, we've talked about so many. The color purple. Guess is coming to dinner. In the heat of the night with Sidney Portier. That's a legendary moment. Stormy weather with Lena Horne and the fact that the, at that time you couldn't mix a cast. It, uh, it either had to be a film with white people or black people. And where in stormy weather, she's singing that song. That's what people remember most about it. that movie is her song, the title song. And then Cabin in the Sky where she's playing the other woman... Uh, and, and Ethel Waters is the wife. In fact, she says that to her. She says to little Joe, she says, now you just sit, watch what you say around me to your wife around me. And she says, oh, I'm still the wife and I still got the inside track. Yeah. Interesting moments on film. Icons. Or Claudine with Miss Diane Carroll. Diane Carroll was such a beauty and made her debut in Carmen Jones with Dorothy Dandridge. Hello. Mm. Oh, here's a distinction right here. So Dorothy Dandridge was the first African-American to be nominated for Best Female Lead Actress. Okay. Diane Carroll was the first black actress to have a... TV series in the 60s she played the nurse um what was it called um oh Diane Carroll from uh Dynasty she was nominated for playing Claudine best actress you know um only a handful of actresses have been nominated for best actress that are black Diane Carroll Diane Carroll was in Eve's Bayou, directed by Casey Lemons. Played a very small but pivotal role. Ah, here we go. She rose to prominence in her earliest major film studio films um, featuring all-black cast Carmen Jones and Porgy and Bess. In 1962, Carroll won a Tony Award for Best Actress in a Musical, a first for an African-American woman for her role in the Broadway musical No Strings. In 1974, she starred in Claudine alongside James Earl Jones, for which she was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress. Her title role in Julia, for which she received the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a television series was the first series on American television to star a black woman in a non-stereotypical role. It was a milestone both in her career and the medium. In the 1980s, this is what I remember because I am a child. I was born in 1980. At the end of it, 
She played the role of Dominique Devereaux, a mixed-race diva in the primetime soap drama Dynasty. Carol was the recipient of numerous stage and screen nominations and awards. But see, Dominique and uh, mm. yeah, from 1984 to 1987, the character is a surprise half-sister of millionaire Blake Carrington. Dominique was written out of the series at the end of the seventh season and did not return for the 1991 miniseries Dynasty, The Reunion. <laughs> I didn't know she was Blake uh, Carrington's sister. Remember, I was a little kid, so I was kind of like, you know, um, mm. Oh, Linda Evans says something about it. Whatever. Not a fan of Linda Evans. Um, Yeah. I think she died on Dynasty because I remember they had like a funeral for her. I don't know. I was little. I would see it and... Let me see. Interesting Interesting Learning a lot about it Because you know I I vaguely Remember a lot of Dynasty Miss Diane Carroll Oh god what an icon Died in 2019 Mm. These you know she, She made a splash with that TV series Julia and um, yeah. So as always, unpleasant dreams, and we will talk more tomorrow about black cinema and these icons that we need to all know of. Unpleasant dreams. Good evening. Welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. You know, I think I have to go back and rewatch Boys in the Hood. I was going to talk about it. And I was like, it's been a while since I've watched it. But you know, um, John Singleton, and we're going to talk about so much in the coming weeks because well actually coming days because February is almost over but you know I want to continue talking about black film um, mainly because of what you know Hollywood itself still has eons to go Um, but John Singleton as a director and what he was able to accomplish okay um, he died not too long ago. You know, that title, Boys in the Hood, comes from, of course, NWA, Eze. But the movie, um, oh 
oh my god the movie what a cast you know what i mean what what a cast in terms of you got lawrence fishburne and you've got cuba gooding jr and um my god uh angela bassett nia long ice cube that was ice cube's first movie you know cash for your home you know what that is what are y'all amos and andy are you stepping and he's fetching i'm talking about the message what it stands for it's called gentrification it's what happens when the property value of a certain area is brought down huh you listening yeah to bring the property value down they can buy the land at a lower price then they move all the people out raise the property value and sell it at a profit now what we need to do is we need to keep everything in our neighborhood everything black black owned with black money just like the jews the italians the mexicans and the koreans do ain't nobody from outside bringing down the property value it's these folks shooting each other and selling that crack rock and shit. Well, how you think the crack rock gets into the country? We don't own any planes. We don't own no ships. We are not the people who are flying and floating that shit in here. I know every time you turn on the TV, that's what you see. Black people selling the rock, pushing the rock, pushing the rock. Yeah, I know. But that wasn't a problem as long as it was here. Wasn't a problem until it was in Iowa and it showed up on Wall Street where there are hardly any black people. Now, if you want to talk about uh, guns, why is it that there's a gun shop on almost every corner in this community? Why? Tell you why. For the same reason that there's a liquor store on almost every corner in the black community. Why? They want us to kill ourselves. You go out to Beverly Hills, you don't see that shit, but they want us to kill ourselves. Yeah, the best way you can destroy a people, you take away their ability to reproduce themselves. Who is it that's dying out here on these streets every night? Y'all. Young brothers like yourselves. What am I supposed to do? Fool roll up, try to smoke me? Shoot the motherfucker if he don't kill me first. You're doing exactly what they want you to do. You have to think, young brother, about your future. Huh? Whoa, that's such a movie. And here he is, Ice Cube in his film debut. Who knew Who knew that Ice Cube, this iconic rapper, would be this really great actor? I mean, come on. I think he knew. What's up? What's up? Yo, cuz. I, I know why you got the call last night. Shouldn't have been there in the first place. You don't want that shit to come back to haunt you. Ain't been up this early in a long time. Turned on the TV this morning. Had this shit on about. About living in a violent. A violent world. Showed all these foreign places. Foreigners living on. Started thinking, man. Either they don't know, don't show, 
I don't care about what's going on in the hood. I had all this foreign shit. I ain't have shit on my brother, man. I ain't got no brother. Mother neither. She loved that food more than she loved me. You know what? Um, I mean, you think of it. You think of the 90s and you think of, okay, you got LL Cool J, you got Will Smith, Fresh Prince, you got Queen Latifah, you got Ice Cube, who would all go into acting and who would all continue. And yeah. But you know, Boys in the Hood, it, it is a coming age of story in the hood. Directed by John Singleton, rest in peace, in his feature directorial debut. Cuba Gooding Jr., Ice Cube, Morris, Chestnut, Lawrence, Fishburne, Nia Long, who was in Love Jones, we talked about last night. Regina King, who is probably going to get nominated and win for directing One Night in Miami. This is a cast and Angela Bassett. Okay. Um... And Boys in the Hood follows Trey Styles, Cuba Gooding Jr., who is sent to live with his father, played by Lawrence Fishburne in South Central Los Angeles, surrounded by the neighboring booming gang culture. The film's title refers to the 1987 NWA song of the same name, written by Ice Cube. Boys in the Hood premiered on July 2nd, 1991, and it was theatrical release in the United States 10 days later. The film became a critical and commercial success. Praised for its emotional weight, acting, and writing, it grossed $57 million. It was nominated for Best Director and Best Original Screenplay, making Singleton the youngest person and first African-American first to be nominated for Best director <sighs> this movie it takes place from 1984 to 1991 30 years ago mm. Mm. my god this movie Singleton wrote the film based on his own life and that of the people he knew. When applying for film school, one of the questions on the application form was to describe three ideas for films. One of the ideas Singleton composed was titled Summer of 84, which later evolved into Boys in the Hood. During writing, Singleton was influenced by the 1986 film Stand By Me, which inspired both an early scene where four boys take a trip to see a dead body and the closing fade out of the main character Doughboy upon completion Singleton was protective of his script insisting that he be the one to direct the project later explaining at a retrospective 
retrospective screening of the film, I wasn't going to have somebody from Idaho or Encino direct this movie. He sold the script to Columbia Pictures in 1991-1990, who greenlit the film immediately out of interest in making a film similar to the comedy drama film Do the Right Thing in 1989. The role of Doughboy was specifically written for Ice Cube, whom Singleton met while working as an intern at the Arsenio Hall show. Singleton, who also noted the studio was unaware of Ice Cube standing as a member of the group NWA. Singleton claims Gooding and Chestnut were cast because they were the first ones who showed up to the auditions, while Fishburne was cast after Singleton met him on the set of Pee Wee's Playhouse, where Singleton worked as a production assistant and security guard. Long grew up in an area the film depicts and has said it was important as a young actor to me that this film feel real because I knew what it was going to be like to go home from school and hear gunshots at night. Bassett referred to the filmmaking as her filmmaker as her little brother on set. I'd been in LA for about three years and I was trying and trying to do the film. She said, we talked, I auditioned and he gave me a shot. I've been waiting to work with him ever since or wanting the film was a shot in sequence with Singleton later noting that as the film goes on, the camera work gets better. As Singleton was finding his foothold as a director, he has a key cameo in the film appearing as a postman handing over mail to Brenda as Doughboy and Ricky are having a scuffle in the front yard. You know, the cultural impact of Boys in the Hood. My God. Hmm. Boys in the Hood kickstart the acting careers of Gooding, Chestnut, and Long, who were respect relatively unknown before it. It also launched Ice Cube's career as a Hollywood actor and was Angela Bassett and Regina King's first significant film role. The film had been referenced many times in other works, including works by Lupe Fiasco, The Game, and Ice Cube himself. In 1994, British jungle DJ duo Remark and Louis produced a song titled Ricky. The song itself is built of various sound bites from the movie. The particular scene where Ricky is murdered, Ice Cube also referenced in the film in the song Check Yourself, stating, I make dough, but don't call me dough boy. This ain't no fucking motion picture. In the night in 2008 film Be Kind Rewind, there is a small reference to the scene where Ricky is shot. In On July 12th, 2011 episode of her self-titled talk show Monique celebrated the 20th anniversary of the release of Boys in the Hood with the director John Singleton, Cuba Goody Jr., Yo-Yo, and Regina King. American rapper Vince Staples references the scene where Ricky gets shot in the back in the song North North informing the listener of the film's impact of on his upbringing. In 2016, 21 Savage referenced Ricky's murder in the song. This this movie, oh my god, and it was parodied for Don't Be a Menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the hood. And I do need to go back and rewatch it, but I we got to just talk about John Singleton who died in 2019 at the age of 51 and it is sad and um my god what a what a career boys in the hood 1991 poetic justice 1993 
Higher Learning, 1995. Rosewood, 1997. Whoa, that was a tough one. Shaft, 2000. Baby Boy, 2001. Too Fast and Too Furious, 2003. Four Brothers, 2005. And Abduction, 2011. The Late John Singleton. And Boys in the Hood is one of those movies I remember the first time I watched it because I had seen it being parodied in Don't Be a Menace in South Central, so I had never seen it. And then I watched it and I was blown away. But you know, we all know, okay, when Ice Cube has that gun in his head, oh my, he's like, check yourself, fool. Remember that? But only Ice Cube could say it. I'm not going to put it on the show tonight. Um, my God. Just think of all those people I just mentioned who are really, I mean, are a part of the film industry. And at that point, they were just beginning. Lawrence Bishburne had been doing movies since he was a teenager. I mean, he lied about his age to get a part in Apocalypse Now. Come on. You know, Angela Bassett. Yeah. Cuba Gooding Jr. Morris Chestnut. Nia Long. Um, yeah. Such a profound movie released in 1991. And it's 30th anniversary is this year so as always unpleasant dreams and watch boys in the hood it is a tough movie to watch but those clips that i played for you i played for you for a reason to give you a taste of the brilliance of john singleton what an amazing cast remember that's a cast of unknowns and now Everybody knows their name. Good night. Good evening, and we're back. Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. The documentary that I had rented virtually from the State Theater was Ella Fitzgerald, Just One of Those Things. A really great documentary on the late, the great Ella Fitzgerald. And so, you know, I couldn't go to the theater to see it at the State Theater. So I virtually rented it. Um, Yeah. Another great singer. Another great singer. Unfortunately, not with a great um, ending. Um, Hers, though, wasn't due to drugs. You know, like Billie Holiday and and uh, Ma Rainey Ma um, died in a, I think, a car crash or something, or was injured. Elle Fitzgerald died of diabetes. Um, very sad. Um, my God, what what a what a songstress. Nobody sang like Elle Fitzgerald, first lady of song. That's what they called her. So. I don't think anyone really has played Ella Fitzgerald in a film yet. But the documentary that I watched, just one of those things, by Leslie Woodhead, was launched in the UK. It featured rare footage, radio broadcasts, and interviews with Jamie Collum, Andre Previn, Johnny Mathis, and other musicians, plus a long interview with Fitzgerald's son, Ray Brown Jr. Oh, my goodness. 
In fact, in, two, in 1997, I remember it was Lena Horne's 80th birthday, and she was receiving an award in honor of Ella Fitzgerald from Society of Singers, uh, which was uh, to help singers get benefits, you know, indigent singers. Um, so it was, it was a great cause. You know, Lena Horne herself lived into her 90s, and it would have been great had we also had Ella Fitzgerald and Billie Holiday and Ma Rainey, you know what I mean? That's what I, you know, that, let's throw that out there. Dr. Zeus Film Podcast crew. Someone needs to make a film about Ella Fitzgerald. Who could play Ella Fitzgerald? The sky is the limit. Now we have these great films that are coming out. Uh, Ava, Ava do. Uh, oh God! I wish I could say her name right. If anyone could direct it, um, uh, yeah, wouldn't she be the director to do it? I am such a fan of hers. Let's see. Ava DuVernay. Ava DuVernay, you should direct a film on Ella Fitzgerald. Someone who picked the perfect person who could embody Ella Fitzgerald you know um, or or Lena Horne both of them oh my god the sky's the limit to bring these stories to screen you know I was just thinking about Lena Horne the other day that song Stormy Weather you know the movie woo, that movie because people really remember the song of Stormy Weather yeah So that's the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast tonight. We're talking about Billy. You know, I've only watched bits and pieces of Diana Ross playing Billy Holiday. It is disturbing to watch. If you open the opening, watch the opening credits, they're basically taking her to the um, uh, sanitarium, putting a straitjacket on her. Um, And then it goes back in time, you know, it's a flashback. Um... I haven't seen the United States versus Billy Holiday yet. I know that it is nominated for a Golden Globe, as is Viola Davis playing Ma Rainey in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Check it out. I watched Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. It's a tough film to watch, um, but it's important and it's essential. I was truly, though, I was like, I want more. I thought that's too short for me, but that's just me. And so, as always, Unpleasant dreams. Good evening and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. I thought we'd be brief in terms of this is an interesting age in film is that you have a movie about Ma Rainey where Viola Davis is playing her and then you have a movie about Billie Holiday where um, Audra Day, is pl- who's singing and playing Billie Holiday. And the last person to play Billie Holiday on the stage was, you know, Audra McDonald. Um, and then the last person to play her in a feature film that got an Oscar nomination was Diana Ross in Lady Sings the Blues. Almost... Um, 50 years ago in that in that wild so it's interesting that 
uh, hopefully they're both up for best actress. You know, that'll be the first. Oh, isn't that, isn't that interesting? Uh, history making. That hasn't happened since 1972, 73. Diana Ross and Cicely Tyson both nominated in the same year for Best Actress. So you would have Audra Day and Viola Davis nominated for Best Actress. That's got to be, oh, I hope that happens. You know, may may everyone be a winner. Um, because either way, it could go right there. You know, I love Frances McDormand. I do. But she's already won. Gotta give it to her a third time. And I thought we would talk about, you know, the fact that the story of Billie Holiday can still be told because there's so many things about Billie Holiday that we don't know. You know what I mean? And the the legacy of a Billie Holiday. Billie Holiday, in terms of a singer you know no there's there's nobody like billy holiday and i don't think there ever will be you know and frank sinatra loved her you know um there's so much to be said about that admiration for one another when a singer of the caliber of frank sinatra says billy holiday is the best he also said that about tony bennett and look what happened so you know um and this is a filmed this is a film podcast. So, you know, of course, I have to now watch The United States versus Billy Holiday because if you don't know the story, Billy Holiday was basically under arrest on her deathbed. A lot of people don't know that. You don't know that. But I know that because I read the book about Billy Holiday. Lady Sings the Blues, that's her autobiography. That's what this is all based off of. The great Billie Holiday. And then Ma Rainey. There's not a lot we know about Ma Rainey. And the fact that August Wilson, the late August Wilson, wrote Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And you have Viola Davis being directed. Um, uh, or no, I was almost going to say Denzel. He's producing it. Denzel starred in many of August Wilson's uh, plays. And his and his goal is to bring them all to Broadway and to bring them all to film. I mean, to bring them all to film. So you've got Billie Holiday and you got Ma Rainey, two icons of the blues. Heartache, pain, you know, they lived it and they sang it. They sang it and they went down with the ship. You know what I mean? They went down with that ship. And that's where the music takes you. You know what I mean? Hmm. Billy Holiday. Nobody, ooh, Billy Holiday. Don't get me started talking about Billy Holiday. You know, to be a teenager and to I was listening to all kinds of music and then to discover Billy Holiday on your own. And it's like, whoa, it's that kind of like cat like growl singing these songs, you know, Strange Fruit, which is such a ooh, that's such a tough song. And then God Bless Child, Lady Sings the Blues, Solitude. Um, my favorite is when it's sleepy time down south because that was toward the end of her life. Those that was the last recording she put out. Her voice was literally gone, but there was so much that she had lived through within that voice. The same with Ma Rainey. So yeah, these are these are two iconic women. Um, 
and this is the month of February. I got to tell you, you know, we're living in an interesting time that these films, we can watch them now. We we don't have to go to the theater. That used to be the thing. If you wanted to watch a movie that's getting all this acclaim, it's not coming to your hometown. You have to go to the art house to watch it. You know, the closest for me is the State Theater in Modesto, California. I want to give the State Theater a shout out. Um... I love the State Theater. I haven't been there in a while. The last time I was there was to watch Victoria and Abdul with Judy Dench. I took my friend. I donate sometimes to the State Theater. It is such an amazing theater. My first experience there was going to see Iggy Pops um, and the Stooges' uh, Gimme Danger um, documentary in 2016. And I fell in love with the State Theater. It plays all the indie films. Play it, They have a, a week where they play Oscar-nominated films, Oscar-winning films. So, you know, and I got to watch a really great... Um, what did I watch on there? I rented it from the State Theater. Um... trying to remember the state theater you know the state theater mm, I, I am so in awe of them oh here we go what did I watch um it's weird I, I forget what was it what was it state you know and here i'm recording this and and i'm gonna keep this in because like you know you don't edit your life like that maybe you do but i don't all right let's see here Mm. what did i watch i was trying to think State Theater. Huh. Hmm. I know that it was, um... Was it a doc? It was a documentary. Hmm. We'll be back after these messages. Good evening. And welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast tonight. Well, um, on this day, about 56 years ago, Malcolm X was assassinated. And today, it is coming to light that someone was in on it. And that someone, and that his security detail basically was bought and had um, for access. But tonight, we're going to talk about the Spike Lee film. 
which garnered Denzel Washington a Best Actor Oscar nomination for playing Malcolm X. I mean, that year was interesting because, you know, Al Pacino won. Al Pacino really won because it was a career achievement. When you're nominated that many times with no wins, and that's unfortunate. And then you had Robert Downey Jr., who was nominated for playing Charlie Chaplin. It was it was a really stellar year. Um, but, you know, when you play Malcolm X and, you know, the late Ed Bradley of 60 Minutes interviewed Denzel Washington. He said to him, you know, when I heard you were going to play Malcolm, I didn't see it. And then I saw it and you became the character. And that's a testament not only to Denzel Washington, but to Spike Lee. You know, Spike Lee is a controversial character. I don't find him controversial, but a lot of people do. And how Spike Lee tells a story. And that is no exception telling the story of Malcolm X. Malcolm X, the film, opens with the Rodney King beating during the the riots. That's how the film opens. And Spike Lee did that. I don't know him personally, but from my own interpretation, he did that to show that things haven't changed. Things have gotten a tiny bit better, but it's still dangerous out there for people of color. And that's why the beginning of Malcolm X begins the way it does. And then it dives into the backstory of who this man was, Malcolm Little, Detroit Red. He had so many different names. And the film, this is an epic. You know it's an epic when it's told in two pieces because there is a, you know, what is it? There, There is an intermission. There's an intermission. It's a long film. It goes all the way from the beginning of his life until the end of his life, the day that he is assassinated on February 21st, 1965 at the Autobahn Ballroom in New York City in Harlem. Yeah. And so we're not going to play any clips tonight. I read the autobiography of Malcolm X. Interesting. And then to learn that his wife and his daughters said that Alex Haley didn't publish the entire thing, that there's pages missing. And how that always bothered his wife, Betty Chavez. Betty Chavez um, continued her life, um, got a doctorate degree, raised her daughters that she had with Malcolm X. And then, unfortunately, her grandson was staying with her and he had mental health problems, set fire to the house, She got burned and died later on of her injuries. So it was a that, you know, and you think of it, I mean, basically, it was a tough time for her. She's raising these girls all by herself, you know, and the movie, the movie shows a lot, a lot. I mean, you are literally transformed throughout the movie. Of Malcolm X. And it's a great cast. You know, that's the thing of what Scorsese, Tarantino, and Spike Lee all do is they use a lot of their character actors. Okay. If you watch Malcolm X the movie, who's in the movie? Delroy Lindo. Okay. Who's also in The Five Bloods, but was playing West Indian Archie in Malcolm X. Spike Lee plays a character. You have Christopher Plummer, who was some kind of chaplain when Malcolm X was in prison. 
And then you have Angela Bassett. Angela Bassett, who is playing Betty Chavez, um, a year before she was to play Tina Turner. So that's interesting. That's interesting. And the legacy. I mean, the film is almost 30 years old. You know, um, Malcolm X has been played by different people in different movies. You have the movie Ali about um, Muhammad Ali, where I think Mario Van Peebles plays Malcolm X. And then you have uh, One Night in Miami. That's uh, out now, I think, on uh, Amazon Prime, directed by the wonderful Regina King. I love that that's a story. That's her directorial debut. You know, so, and that's a historical moment. You know, you got Malcolm X, you got Muhammad Ali, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown. Jim Brown is the only one of that group still alive to tell the tale of what happened one night in Miami. And so, these are, these are historical forces. And today, it has come out that there's more to the Malcolm X assassination than we thought. Of course... Conspiracy theories, I always think, are bullshit. This is not a conspiracy theory, though. There was always that idea that someone was in on it. And his security detail had been bought. So that's the unfortunate thing that we're learning about years later, after the death of the security detail, of Malcolm X, Betty Shabazz, Malcolm X uh, Jr., the great-grandson, or the grandson who later died in Mexico. There's a lot to this story. We're going to tell more of it tonight on the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Stay tuned. Good afternoon. And welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Tonight, we're going to talk about, well, in the afternoon, really... The film Malcolm X, because it was today on February 21st, 1965, at the Autobahn Ballroom, that Minister Malcolm X, El Malik El Shabazz, was assassinated. Today, some new information has come into light. And so we're going to talk about this film, directed by Spike Lee. It was controversial at the time, because the film opens with the Rodney King uh, beatings, by the police, the LAPD. But you know what? There's a reason why. It was to show there was no progress. No progress. People think, oh, okay, Malcolm X, that's 1965. Shoot to 1992. No. No. And still. And still. And so what Spike Lee does is Spike Lee basically says, you guys think things are better? Things... You can't push things under the rug. That's what he's really doing. There's still turmoil. There's still work to be done. You cannot just exhale and breathe. It's no. And the film Malcolm X, I mean, you look at it. Even Ed Bradley, Ed Bradley of 60 Minutes interviewed Denzel Washington a couple years ago. And he said to him, when I heard you were going to play Malcolm X, I didn't see it. I couldn't see it. And then he says he saw the movie and he became Malcolm you know, uh, Malcolm X is also in the news because there is the film One Night in Miami, directed by Regina King. Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, Sam Cooke, Jim Brown. Yeah, 
Jim Brown, who was the only one still alive of that group, to tell the story of what happened one night in Miami. Okay? Check that film out. But tonight, we're going to talk about... I keep saying tonight. Today, we're going to talk about Malcolm X. An array of cast members. I mean, you got Delroy Lindo. You've got Angela Bassett a year before she was going to play Tina Turner. Denzel Washington is Malcolm X. Um, Spike Lee is even in the film. Christopher Plummer, who just died, plays some kind of chaplain uh, while Malcolm X is in prison. Um, It it is an array of performers. Debbie Mazar is in it. You know... um, that's the thing with Spike Lee films. Oh my goodness. So many, so many characters. You know, he uses a lot of the same actors. You know, I mean, you look at Delroy Lindo was in Crooklyn. Okay. Um, one of the women from Malcolm X, she's an elderly woman. She was in Malcolm X and then she was in Crooklyn. Because there's a moment in Malcolm X where he's... he. And this really did happen. He's not going into the Autobahn ballroom the day of the assassination. And he's been circling in his car, the Autobahn ballroom, several times. And this woman says, are you okay, son? Are you okay? And she says, I will pray for you. Not knowing that a few minutes later he would be struck down by an assassin's bullet. And so we're going to talk about that. I studied Malcolm X in high school. Very fascinating character. Many different shades and layers to Malcolm X. And his daughters have said that there is missing pieces of that biography that Alex Haley withheld. Or that maybe the publisher withheld. And that one day they were going to be put back in. Because, you know, there was a lot more to the story. And so, tonight we dive in. Today we dive in. To Malcolm X, released in 1992, directed by Spike Lee. Denzel Washington received an Oscar nomination for Best Actor, lost to Al Pacino for Scent of a Woman. I like Al Pacino, but come on. You're, you're gonna. Oh, and, and also that year, you had another iconic person being played on the screen, and that was Charlie Chaplin, brought to the screen by Robert Downey Jr. In a way, I'm kind of happy he didn't win because that probably would have made him dive even more into excess. Because, you know, when you win an Oscar, you're either, oh, great, or fuck all. You know what I mean? And, I mean, a lot of the female actresses who have won the Oscar will get divorces. Well, not Meryl Streep, but, you know, or uh, Helen Mirren. They're more refined in that aspect. But... There is a lot of weight to winning that Oscar. And then there are those who don't take it for granted. Denzel Washington, Forrest Whitaker, Jamie Foxx, who really don't take it for granted. They are aware. I remember when Forrest Whitaker won and he said, this is for the kid from South Texas. And um, Halle Berry, Halle Berry's Oscar speech is epic. It's epic. And... Oh, isn't that weird? So 10 years later, Denzel Washington wins an Oscar for Best Actor for Training Day. So 10 years after Malcolm X, for which he was nominated for Best Actor. He'd been nominated for Best Actor in between that. He wins, you know, 40 years after Sidney Poitier won. 
In fact, yesterday was Sydney Portier's 94th birthday. And so today on the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast, we're going to talk about Malcolm X. Coming up, Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Stay tuned. Good evening, and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Tonight, I thought I would mention briefly, we're going to talk about him at a later time, Gordon Parks, who directed Shaft, who's also a photographer for Life Magazine. And today, he had a long-term love affair with Miss Gloria Vanderbilt. And today would have been her 97th birthday. And you know, Gloria Vanderbilt has been on the Dr. Zeus podcast before it went to the film podcast. So I thought... You know, let's have Gloria on. So if we can, um, you know, seance her in. We haven't, I haven't done that in a while, you know, and uh, if we can uh, very, uh, oh, there she is. Gloria Vanderbilt. Welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Oh, sweetheart, oh, you have woken me from a long, eternal nap. Oh, so you want to talk about Gordon Parks, a love affair that I like to keep private. No details, you understand, sweetheart. But I will say, I knew him, and when he was going to do Shaft, it was a moment. Very interesting. Did you and him ever talk about the legacy of the film Shaft? Many times, because it was the early days of black exploitation. I did not resume an affair with Gordon Parks until years later. As you know, from the 60s until the 70s, I was married to Wyatt Cooper. You see, Gordon Parks was a revolutionary, a renaissance man. There was no controversy because I never made public of it. People knew that I was in a relationship with him. Did I care? what some wasps would think that I was dating a black man. No, I'm Gloria Vanderbilt. I can have my cake and, you know, I I live my life openly. I've had lesbian experiences. My son is a homosexual. You get the drift. Did he ever meet Gordon Parks? He did on many occasions, dear. You see, Gordon Parks did so much for media that people don't give him the recognition that he truly deserves. Well, they gave you the recognition for the genes. Oh, of course, in the Vanderbilt name. But I will say, in terms of an artistic eye, and it was, it was, you know, 
it was evident that Gordon was going to go into filmmaking. He had such an extraordinary eye for photography. So iconic. He also dabbled in music. And so tonight, as we just salute Gordon Parks, I mean, he lived a very long life. He was in his 90s when he died. Yes, and we were in a relationship. We were in a very central, very loving and under a lot of freedom in this uh, relationship and that's all I can say about it but we did have those conversations about Shaft and his photography his place in the world do you do you ever feel that he regretted Shaft at first no because then they coined it black exploitation and he and I, sweetheart, had many, many discussions about art. And he was one of the best. Thank you, Gloria Vanderbilt. And so, you know, Gordon Parks, I mean, we've all... Richard Roundtree, Isaac Hayes doing the music. Come on. You know, that Shaft is a bad mother. Shut your mouth. I'm talking about Shaft. Then we can dig it. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. Yeah. What an extraordinary film by an extraordinary director. I think that was his first feature film, which was Shaft. And then you've got Isaac Hayes, who went on to win an Oscar for, you know, the song Shaft. (laughs) An iconic moment. You know, if we could dive a little more deeper into Mr. Gordon Parks. Because I feel that within cinema, you know, when you've made a splash like that, and he he truly made a splash. And, you know, when we say Gordon Parks, I mean, you know... Born November 30th, 1912, died March 7th, 2006, the age of 93. Was an American photographer, musician, writer, and film director who became prominent in the U.S. documentary photojournalism in the 1940s through the 1970s, particularly in issues of civil rights, poverty, and African Americans, and in glamour photography. Parks was the first African American to produce and direct major motion pictures, developing films relating to the experience of slaves and struggling black Americans, and creating the black exploitation genre. He is best remembered for his iconic photos of poor Americans during the 1940s, taken for a federal government project. For this photogenic essays for Life magazine, and as the director of the 1971 film, 50 years ago, Shaft, Parks also was an author, poet, and composer. Yeah, what a, what an extraordinary icon, you know, commercial and civic photography, film. 
Here it is. Shaft, a 1971 detective film directed by Parks starring Richard Roundtree as John Shaft, became a major hit that spawned a series of films that would be labeled as black exploitation. The black exploitation genre was one in which images of lower class blacks being involved with drugs, violence, and women were exploited for commercially successful films featuring black actors and was popular with a section of the black community. Parks Parks's feel for settings was confirmed by Shaft, with its portrayal of the super cool, leather-clad black private detective hired to find the kidnapped daughter of a Harlem racketeer. Parks also directed the 1972 sequel, Shaft's Big Score, in which the protagonist finds himself caught in the middle of rival gangs of racketeers. Parks' other directorial credits include The Super Cops, 1974, and Lead Belly, 1976. A biographical film of the blues musician Huddy Ledbetter. In the 1980s, he made several films for television and composed music and libretto for Martin, a ballet tribute to Martin Luther King Jr., which premiered in Washington, D.C. during 1989. It was screened on the national television on King's birthday in 1990. In 2000, uh, an, uh, an homage he had a cameo appearance in the Shaft sequel that starred Samuel L. Jackson in the title role as the namesake and nephew of the original John Shaft in the cameo scene. Parks was sitting playing chess with when Jackson greeted him as Mr. P. Mm. What an extraordinary icon. Oh, here it is. For many years, Parks was romantically involved with Gloria Vanderbilt, the railroad heiress and designer. Their relationship evolved into a deep friendship that endured throughout his lifetime. Parks had four children, Gordon Jr., David, Leslie, and Tony. His oldest son, Gordon Parks Jr., whose talented talents resembled his father's, was killed in a plane crash in 1979 in Kenya, Kenya where he had gone to direct a film. Parks has five grandchildren, Malcolm X honored Parks when he asked him to be the godfather of his daughter, uh, Kobel Shabazz. Mm. Parks is referenced in Kendrick Lamar's music video for his song Element. In the music video, some of Parks' iconic photo- photographs are transferred into movie vin- vignettes. <sighs> and so tonight, Dr. Zeus Film Podcast, we pay homage and give tribute to Mr. Gordon Parks wherever you are and Gloria Vanderbilt for just talking so sweetly about her friend and former lover as always unpleasant dreams Good evening, and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. No special microphone tonight, although I should, because I've been waiting to talk about this character, this actor, this icon. Not just a character, though. This man embodies grace, dignity, and on-screen, nobody, nobody embodies this man's presence you know I want to 
talk about, well, <laughs> you know, sometimes Morgan Freeman says it best. And Morgan Freeman saluted this gentleman. Mr. Morgan Freeman. When I knew I was coming here, I sat down and wrote all this on paper. But I can't stand here and read from a paper and talk to you. Every man has his own heaven. And for me, heaven has always been being in the movies. And always in my heaven, since I first started thinking about it, I've had one bright light, Sidney Poitier. I do thank you. Isn't that amazing? So I thought, let's start off with that. Morgan Freeman, who is so amazing, who really doesn't feel there should be a Black History Month that shit, because he said, you're going you're gonna to regulate my history to one month? And I agree with him right there. We should be talking about characters and icons such as this every day of the year. And so we will. Mr. Sidney Portier, who is still with us. Mm. Sydney, 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 Oprah Winfrey does probably some of the best interviews with Sydney Portier because she is fully aware of the magnitude of his presence honoring him. Last night we talked about Dr. Maya Angelou. Tonight we're talking about Mr. Sydney Portier. <sighs> Born on Cat Island, Miami, Florida, February 20th, 1927. 1964, Portier won the Academy Award for Best Actress on his second nomination, the first one being The Defiant Ones with um, Tony Curtis. Sidney Portier won the Academy Award for Lilies of the Field. He became the first black male and Afro-Bohemian actor to win that award. He is the oldest living and earliest surviving Best Actor Academy Award winner. From 1997 to 2007, he served as the Bohemian ambassador to Japan. Mm. There's a lot of firsts with Sydney. In 1958, Portier starred with Tony Curtis as the Chained Together Escaped Convicts in The Defiant Ones, which received nine Academy Award nominations. Both actors received a nomination for Best Actor, with Portier's being the first for a Black actor, as well as a nomination for a BAFTA, which Portier won. In 1964, he won the Academy Award and Golden Globe Award for Best Actor for Lilies. Of the field, in which he played a handyman helping a group of German-speaking nuns build a chapel, or as they say, a chapel. Portier also received acclaim for a raisin in the sun and a patch of blue. And we talked about a patch of blue as a love story. As guess who's coming to dinner um, to serve with love? In 1967, Sidney Portier was a top actor of that year. He had not one but three films to serve with love. 
in the heat of the night and guess who's coming to dinner started out in Hollywood in the early 1950s in fact is on the AFI's 100 years 100 stars and I thought you know Morgan, Morgan Freeman and so many others are, are basically the legacy of Sidney Portier. when Sidney Portier leaves this earth one day one day those are the beneficiaries and the younger ones as well of Mr. Sidney Portier. And my God, what a what an icon. It was always I I always had resisted watching In the Heat of the Night. That's such a tough movie. And the, the barb and the dialogue between him and Rod Steiger. And you know, we live in such a D- divisive world now in such a divided world and I urge all of you to go and watch In the Heat of the Night there are some uncomfortable moments in that movie now there is a moment in that movie whew, that is so iconic almost didn't happen is when Sidney Portier gets slapped and he slaps back In the Heat of the Night He should have got an Oscar for that. And he didn't. Oh my God. I'm a little overcome. What a great actor. Made his film debut in No Way Out in 1950 with Richard Widmark. Yeah. Worked his way up in Hollywood. And, uh, you know, Lilies of the Field. That's such a great movie to win an Oscar for a, a comedy. Maybe there are a couple of Catholics in the Academy. I don't know. Or according to Jack Nicholson, there are a couple of nuts in the Academy. Well, Catholics and nuts, you know, they go hand in hand. Um, this is such a great scene. I'll read it to you in English. In the same house remain eating and drinking such things as they give for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Now that's not exactly what I had in mind, but you get the idea. What you got there? Proverbs 1 4. in that lot amongst us let us all have one purse look i am a poor man i've got to work for wages now i can't work for matthew chapter six Aston, uh, two eight two nine matthew chapter six two eight two nine Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you, not even Solomon in all his glories was arrayed as one of these. Consider the lilies. (sighs) 
that. You go to bed. Tomorrow Sunday is the mass in town. It's nine by the clock. I'm a Baptist. I don't go to mass. We go. Well, how'd you get there before I came along? We walk every Sunday. Now we got you. Now, damn it! You ain't got me. Good night, Schmidt. Now get that very strange. Schlafen Sie wohl. And cut that out. Bless you, Schmidt. Yep. With uh, the late Lilia Scala, German actress, Mr. Sidney Portier. But you know, he just, oh, every performance. You say you don't want to tell me how to live my life. So what do you think you've been doing? You tell me what rights I've got or haven't got and what I owe to you for what you've done for me? Let me tell you something. I owe you nothing. If you carried that bag a million miles, you did what you were supposed to do. Because you brought me into this world. And from that day, you owed me everything you could ever do for me. Like I will owe my son if I ever have another. But you don't own me. You can't tell me when or where I'm out of line. Or try to get me to live my life according to your rules. You don't even know what I am, Dad. You don't know who I am. You don't know how I feel, what I think. And if I try to explain it the rest of your life, you will never understand. You are 30 years older than I am. You and your whole lousy generation believes the way it was for you is the way it's got to be. And not until your whole generation has lain down and died will the dead weight of you be off our backs. You understand? You've got to get off my back. Isn't that a powerful moment? Sidney Portier and his father, played by Roy Glenn, talking about the difference in their generations. I mean, 1967 was such a year for Sidney Portier, probably one of his best years. But this, this is the part right here. Oh, and that's a commercial. I hate when, oh, I should just, you know, bog down and and get premium YouTube without the commercials. But it's not going to happen. You know, this is the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. And we got to work with what we got. You come here. ask you about Mr. Colbert. Let me understand this. You two came here to question me? Well, your your attitudes, Mr. Endicott, your points of view are a matter of record. Some people, well, let us say the people who work for Mr. Colbert might reasonably regard you as the person least likely to mourn his passing. We were just trying to clarify some of the evidence. Was Mr. Colbert ever in this greenhouse, say, last night about midnight? Good, Yeah. You saw it. 
Well, I saw it. But what are you going to do about it? I don't know. I'll remember that. There was a time when I could have had you shot. Oh, that's such a moment. And you know, when they were going to do that scene, Sidney Portier said, I will not do that scene unless I get to slap him back. That was the deal. And they stuck by that deal. My God. Mm. Directed by Norman Jewison, Rod Steiger, Sidney Portier. Won a whole bunch of Academy Awards deservedly so is this Sydney's best film probably I mean he's got so many but this one I mean you think of it I mean there's there's this wonderful conversation between him and Rod Steiger about loneliness and they how they respected each other (laughs) you know you know, Virgil, you are among the chosen few. How's that? Well, I think that you're the first human being that's ever been in here. <laughs> you can't be too careful, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know a lot of things, don't you? What do you know about insomnia? Bourbon can't cure it. <laughs> well, that's for sure. Now look, I got no wife, I got no kids. Boy, I got a town that don't want me. that I have to oil myself. I got a desk with a busted leg and on top of that I got this uh... please. Don't you think that drive a man to take a few drinks? I'll tell you a secret. Nobody comes here.
close to it. Don't you get just a little lonely? No lonelier than you, man. And then to have to stir with love and then to have a theme song about it sung by Lulu who also wrote I Don't Want to Fight for Tina Turner I mean come on you know if I can find it oh no that's I always hate it when there's music it's like oh we can't play it here we go this is powerful Portier, 1967. We could call the year of, of Sydney Portier. And you think of it, 1967, 1968, 69. You had, unfortunately, the riots. You have Watts. You have Detroit. And Sydney Portier was uh, right there on the forefront of the civil rights movement with Dr. King. And, um, You know, tackled tackled what was going on in his films, and and not a lot of people had the foresight to do that, and he did it. Got into a lot of trouble doing it, you know, and um, when you. St- you know ah here we go patch of blue with Elizabeth Hartman may she rest in peace Sydney Portier yes yes they will love it Gordon, I got experience. You have, have you? Yeah, I've been done over about a year back. I don't know who he was. 
Some fellow Roseanne brought back. <laughs> I tell they've been drinking. Don't pay no attention to her. I know circus performer. Oh, but she can't see nothing. Yeah, but uh, you better get rid of her. Oh, all right. I'll go find the old man. He can take her for a while. Roseanne had to take another room down the hall. I don't think she ever forgave me for that. Now, I always used to think Roseanne was having a good time for herself on that bed of hers. I know better now. I feel a bit sorry for her sometimes. Are you still there, Gordon? I'm here. course you know raisin in the sun um what what an extraordinary career he also directed some films but what an extraordinary wrote a book measure of a man what's that he wants to do 1961 a raisin in the sun no it's good for him to be business minded i have to she won't give me the 50 cents why not because we don't have it. What do you tell the boy things like that for? Hey, yes, sir. Thanks, Daddy. In fact, here's another 50 cents. Get yourself some fruit or something or take a taxi cab to school. You know what I mean? Hey, dog! I think you better get that go to school. About what me and Willie Harris was talking about last night. Willie Harris is a good for nothing loud mouth. Anybody who talked to me has got to be a good for nothing loud. Charlie Atkins was a good for nothing loud mouth too, wasn't he? When he wanted me to go in the dry cleaning business with him. Now he's grossing a hundred thousand dollars a year. Hundred thousand dollars a year. Still call him a loud mouth good for nothing. Oh, Walter. Oh, Walter. And you know. Sydney Portier, I mean, everyone agrees he is the true measure of a man, not only on film, but in life. Oh my goodness, what, what an actor. There's so much to be said about this this actor I mean my goodness but it's good to sometimes hear it from the man himself (laughs) 
Guess who's coming to dinner? How possible was it then, in 1967, to make a film like that in America? It was close to impossible, primarily because the industry was not ready for such a film, you know? So it took a guy, Stanley Kramer, who said, I would like to make a film like this. Not because it's going to be sensational, not because it's going to be provocative, but because I'm a filmmaker in America and this is a part of America. It is a part of America. And if I use this format, I could speak to the humanity in people. So he sent me a script. I read it and I thought it was a wonderful idea. Terrific idea for the time scene with my dad who had difficulties with what was about to happen <laughs> it was interesting for me because I have a dad you know a guy that I loved a great deal and I had to use him as my emotional reference when I was speaking to my movie dad, played by Roy Glenn, fine actor. It wasn't easy, but it was a scene that had to be played. So I played it as best I could and uh, worked out okay. So that's from the man himself. Mr. Sidney Portier, who is still with us at the age of 90. Well, is he 94 yet? His birthday is the 20th, February 20th. A few days, Friday. I don't know, Saturday. Still going strong. <sighs> still inspiring. You know, everyone loves working with him. Paul Newman, Oprah, Tony Curtis, Catherine Hepburn, and Spencer Tracy. Come on. In fact, in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, Catherine Houghton, the niece of Catherine Hepburn, played her daughter and Spencer Tracy's daughter. Rod Steiger loved working with Sidney Portier. In fact, when they saluted Sidney Portier on they did this beautiful list, 100 Years, 100 Stars, and Sidney's on the list along with Catherine Hepburn, Spencer Tracy, and Rod Steiger said, that scene that I played for you where they're drinking and they're talking about loneliness and insomnia and how bourbon can't cure it. And Rod Steiger says that was his favorite scene because they respected each other based on that loneliness that they both shared. And then Gregory Hines, the late Gregory Hines, who talks about Sydney winning the Academy Award and how it just it floored him. How he didn't even hear his name being said. But he saw him come up and get the Academy Award. That's a moment. That's a moment. In fact, Sidney said when he received the Oscar, it is a long journey to this moment. He was aware fully of what was was occurring. And he was the vessel 
then in 2002, Sidney Portier received an honorary Oscar 40 years after his Oscar win. And that same night, Denzel Washington, 40 years later, won the Best Actor Oscar for Training Day. And that same night, Halle Berry won. And so far, hasn't happened since. We've had many great actors who have won Best Actor. Forrest Whitaker, Jamie Foxx. So, but in the Best Actress category, just Halle Berry. Hopefully that changes with Miss Viola Davis. And see, Sidney Portier, that's his legacy. It's all these beautiful actors. Hispanic actors, Asian actors, black actors, gay actors, transgendered actors. Everyone who, you know, has felt what Sydney has felt being the first. So, yeah, it, it is a major, major thing to be talking about Sydney Portier. And... I thank Oprah Winfrey for always giving him a seat at her table because he he earned it. So did Dr. Maya Angelou, two pillars I know in Oprah's life. And I reference Oprah because of, of what she's done for literacy and what she's done to acknowledge the people that came before her, like Sidney Poitier, like... Maya Angelou, who paved the way with their grace and dignity. As Whoopi Goldberg once said of Sidney Poitier, she says he is this elegant, dignified man, which is what he brings to every role. I would bust out my AFI's 100 Years, 100 Stars, but I don't feel like doing it. I'll watch it every now and then. It's, it's a moment. It's the treasure trove, which introduced me to all these beautiful classic stars. It is Pandora's box, literally. It was like I was unlocking this this gateway, you know, to Catherine Hepburn and Jean Harlow and Mae West and Sidney Poitier and Sophia Loren and Eva Gardner and, oh my God, um, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton. I'm, I'm trying to name them all, you know. Uh, James Dean, I didn't know who James Dean was. I saw the AFI and went, whoa, East Feden. <sighs> And Mr. Oh, he's one of my favorites. Mm. Robert Mitchum. Robert Mitchum just didn't care. And all of these actors in Sidney Poitier have something in common. They are forever ingrained in our consciousness. And the fact that there was not many black actors at that time I mean, you think, okay, you got Sidney Poitier, you got Dorothy Dandridge, you, uh, Harry Belafonte, Paul Robeson, and then, of course, in the 70s, emerging James Earl Jones, Cicely Tyson, Paul Winfield, Diane Carroll. In the 80s, you know, Denzel Washington, Danny Glover, um, Louis Gossett Jr., you know, um, Forrest Whitaker, who made his debut in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, went on to win an Oscar for playing Idi Amin. 
Jamie Foxx, who started out on In Living Color. Morgan Freeman, The Electric Company. Hello. Morgan Freeman probably is the direct beneficiary for me of Sidney Portier because of the grace and the dignity and all these beautiful roles that Morgan Freeman is able to play because he saw Sidney Portier and was inspired. You don't have a Shawshank Redemption without Sidney Portier inspiring that young Morgan Freeman to go out. You don't have a Malcolm X without that young Denzel Washington being inspired by Sidney Portier or Whoopi Goldberg. You don't have Seeley in The Color Purple. You don't have Steven Spielberg directing her. He also being inspired by Sidney Portier. You know, you don't have Viola Davis who just brings it to every performance. You know she watched Sidney Portier and went, whoa, as did Cicely Tyson. You know, Diane Carroll. Oh, my goodness. All the wonderful directors. Stanley Kramer loved working with Sidney Portier. Guess who's coming to dinner, you know. Uh... And then the cast of To Sir With Love. Patricia Rutledge, who, you know, um, is in that great British show. She was into Sir with Love. You you recognize her. She's one of the teachers. I think she's the headmistress, the headmaster, uh, but headmistress of the school that he works at. And hey, it doesn't get any better than that to have Lulu singing to Sir with Love to Sidney Portier. <sighs> what an icon. So tonight on the Dr. Seuss Film Podcast, this is the month of February. It should be longer. I agree with Morgan Freeman on that. Sidney Portier, still going strong, still inspiring, still giving us a moment, a pause that not many actors can do. Because you got to understand at that time, I mean diversity in Hollywood at that time Martin Sheen changed his name from uh, you know uh, Estevez to Sheen Anthony Quinn was from Chihuahua, Mexico Rita Hayworth's real name was Margarita Cancina Anna, Anna Mae Wong who was a wonderful Asian actress who didn't get the roles that she should have because of Hollywood racism Lena Horne, who didn't get the roles that she deserved because of Hollywood racism. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And what we remember are her her songs like Stormy Weather. And then you have Sidney Portier, who is just there on the forefront. Not just in the fight, but changing the landscape forever. Okay. And I would be remiss. There was another actor. He died young. And I have to mention mention him because I just thought of him. Sergeant Rutledge. Directed by John Ford. Starring Woody Strode, the late Woody Strode. 
He was a decathlon football star who was also one of the first black American players in the National Football League in the post-war era. After football, he went on to become a film actor where he was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor for his role in Spartacus. He served in the United States Army in World War II. Died in 1994. Yep. So, think of that. 1960s. And how the landscape was starting to change. Okay. The 70s basically are the second golden age of film. And then continuing on. You know, and here we are in this world of inclusion, which is always changing. It's always, it's changing. And so that is the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast at 1111. Make a wish. Thank you, Sydney Portier. Good night.